we are kicking off episode 536 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear, Monster Kid Radio, with the song Panic at the Pier. It is the title track from the same named album by the band The Men in Grey Suits. They are a surf band based out of Montreal, Quebec, and they're awesome. You'll be able to hear this song in its entirety at the end of this episode. You can find them at themeningraysuits.bandcamp.com. And gray, their gray is spelled G-R-A-Y. My name is Derek M. Cook, your writer, host, producer of this here podcast. I'd like to welcome you to the show. First of all, big thanks for all the support that I got after last week's episode, as well as the last couple of weeks here on the show. Don't want to dwell on it any more than I already have. So thank you so much. I appreciate everybody just having my back. Friends, y'all are awesome. Thank you. This week on the show, we are getting back into the groove of things. A couple weeks ago, we talked about the movie Invasion of the Body Snatchers from the 70s. Well, the first time this story was made as a film was in the 50s, and that's the movie we're going to be talking about today with longtime friend and supporter of the show, author Stephen D. Sullivan. He and I chat about the 1950s Invasion of the Body Snatchers, as well as a few other things, you know, as we do here on MKR. It's a fun conversation. I appreciate Steve stepping up and helping me out with this week's episode. Also this week, we have Kenny's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. It takes a slightly different track, slightly different approach than some of his previous installments, and it's really good. And then, of course, speaking of really good, we've got Mark Matsky's Beta Capsule Review with a spooky kind of sort of episode of Ultraman on deck. There's a lot to get to this week, so let's just dive into it right now. The House of Wax, the ultimate dimension in terror, comes to the screen in Stereovision 3D. Vincent Price, at his diabolical best, will take you room by terrible room on a journey to the ultimate chamber of horrors. Stereovision 3D will synthesize before your eyes the terrifying reality of it all. In Stereovision 3D, House of Wax is more than a movie. It's an experience you'll never forget. Thank you. I've been standing there for centuries. <laughs> yes, I suppose it seemed... Why, it's raining, but you're not wet. No, I'm not, am I? Uh, where are you coming from? I was watching a wonderfully terrifying double feature movie. I was a teenage Frankenstein in Blood of Dracula. Oh? Professor Frankenstein created a teenage monster to bring havoc and terror to all who meet him. But he left a few parts out, particularly in the poor lad's face. Uh, may we change and the subject? And the vampire in Blood of Dracula, quite unfriendly except when hungry, than any friend will do for a few ghastly moments. Please, I... Oh, here's where I must leave you. But there's nothing here but an old cemetery. Yes, I know. I want to meet some old friends here. After you see I was a teenage Frankenstein in Blood of Dracula, you might drop back here. We'll discuss the pictures to some length. <laughs> yes, yes, I'll do that! <laughs> the solar system holds many planets, but none like the planets which launched the attack of the monsters. A dying civilization bent on conquering the Earth for its own use. Two boys from Earth, caught up in this fantastic adventure, find themselves as the only obstacles between the space creatures and the Earth's destruction. And 
army of evil creatures comes from every corner of this dying planet. While on Earth, the scientific world gathers in one final effort. The attack of the monsters. Gigantic creatures prepare for their onslaught of the Earth. And turning their evil destruction on one another, their planet trembles under the shattering fury of the most colossal battle in galactic history. Can the Earth survive? The attack of the monsters. Live from the Land of Light in Nebula M78, home of the mighty Ultra Heroes, it's Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review. A night watchman on patrol in a zoo notices the animals are in a state of agitation, moments before nearby Mount Omoro begins to pulsate with light. While Captain Muramatsu, Hayata, and Arashi investigate the scene, Fuji's shift at Science Patrol headquarters is interrupted by a young boy, who should have never made it past the guards. The youngster bears an ominous message. The Highland Dragon Hydra is about to go wild. As suddenly as he appeared, he's gone, and Fuji relays the message to the others at Mount Omoro, who learn that the Hydra is the mascot of the zoo, an imaginary kaiju designed by a boy named Akira Muto. That night, Mount Omoro splits in two, and a very real Hydra emerges, and shaking off the Science Patrol's beam weapons, unleashes a wave of terror on Route 87. In the 20th episode of Ultraman, written by Tetsuo Kinjo, who wrote many of the series' most memorable scripts, including the series finale. Fuji and Ide attempt to contact Akira Muto to talk to him about Hydra, but are shocked to learn that such a conversation will be impossible. Muto was killed in a hit-and-run accident on Route 87, in the very vicinity that Hydra is attacking with increasing frequency. The Science Patrol launches an airborne operation to bring down Hydra, but the flying monster turns the tables, causing Arashi and Hayata's aircraft to crash land. Arashi leaves Hayata under medical supervision to stage one last desperate attack on Hydra, but his bravery may not be enough to save the day. Terror on Route 87 packs a lot of visual variety into its 25-minute runtime, balancing atmospheric nighttime scenes with vibrant daytime shots, and intricate miniature sets with actual location photography in the mountains. Moreover, the story is strongly reminiscent of Ultra Q, in the sense that it's a 20th century ghost story, with a giant monster and Ultraman, an added bonus. For Monster Kid Radio's Beta Capsule Review, this is Mark Matsky reporting. The scene, outer space. The story, destruction of Earth. See Gorath, the most spectacular science shocker ever filmed, surpassing anything in the realm of science fiction to date. See astronauts, satellites, and spaceships operating from South Polar Base. 
You are actually in every exciting scene. It could happen. It may happen. Warning to every man, woman, and child. Nerve-shattering tension will grip you and hold you spellbound in the most enthralling science fact shocker ever made in scenes never before filmed in limitless outer space. See scientists move the Earth with hydrogen jet power. See the world doomed by a wild invading sun 6,000 times bigger than Earth. See gigantic earthquakes, space collisions, and tidal waves. medical precedent for what's happening to you. I, I simply know that you're getting smaller. I want you to stop thinking about us, our marriage. Some awful things might happen. As long as you've got this wedding ring on, you've got me. This is Orson Welles speaking. I have 45 seconds to tell you about something I think you'll remember the longest day you live. It's about a man named Scott Carey. A few months ago, he was six feet, two inches tall and weighed 190 pounds. Today, he's two inches tall and you can hold him in the palm of your hand. Now he lives in a world where he must fight for his life, a world where a friendly house cat is a predatory monster. Incredible, because it's almost beyond imagining. Incredible, because every hour he gets smaller and smaller. Incredible, because every moment the terror mounts. I am Dr. Lee Cushing. Welcome to my Chamber of Horrors. Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors is a monster rally novel in the tradition of the classic Universal and Hammer horror film. It's written by Stephen D. Sullivan, the award-winning author of White Zombie, Daikaiju Attack, Manos the Hands of Fate, and one of the creators of the original chill role-playing game. This book recreates the thrills of the classic monster versus monster film. We've got vampires, werewolves, mummies, psychic twins, scheming madmen, Plenty of unexpected chills. Now you can get Dr. Cushing's Chamber of Horrors in print or for Kindle at Amazon.com and other fine retailers. Coming soon in other ebook formats. Find out more at CushingHorrors.com or SDSullivan.com and support Steve's work through Patreon at PaySteve.com. I do hope you've enjoyed your visit. 
please come again. And remember, the chamber is always waiting for its next victim. Hello there, Monster Kid Radio Hits. This is Kenny with a look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. Today, Derek and his guest are talking about Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956. I have already mentioned the appearance of that movie in FM a few episodes ago. Today, I want to share my personal experience watching this classic for the first time. Starting May 11, 1974, just before my 10th birthday, I became a fan of Creature Features out of Oakland, California, hosted by Bob Wilkins. He frequently showed Night of the Living Dead and would announce it a week before with the trailer. Welcome to a night of total terror. Night of the Living Dead. The trailer would scare me so much, I would not dare watch the movie with Bob Saturday Nights. One day, I found that a local revival theater was going to show Night of the Living Dead during a daytime matinee. I invited my friend, present Portlander Craig, to go with me. He had seen the film before and testified of its horrible nature. I figured if I didn't have to go to sleep, Right after the movie, I could handle it better. So we went to the daytime double feature. In the theater, there was a college-aged girl sitting several rows behind us. She was by herself and was wearing a turtleneck sweater. From early on in the Romero Terror Fest, she began moaning in absolute terror. Craig and I got a major kick out of this and started paying more attention to her than the movie, laughing at her as she writhed in her seat her face covered by her turtleneck, moaning and groaning as if she was living the life of poor Barbara. We were so fixed on her, we missed some of the best scary parts. When the movie ended, we thought to ourselves, let's talk up the second movie, which we knew nothing about, and see if we could scare this girl out of the theater. We made up all kinds of horrible stuff, and it worked. We looked back and saw that she had scurried away in fear. We laughed it up and sat back to see the second feature, the first time for both of us bratty 10-year-olds. Of course, that film was Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and it scared the crap out of us. The scenes of King Donovan's double on the pool table had us spellbound. The birth of the pod shocked us, and we gasped at the empty face of Dana Winter when she became a pod. We sat through the film as fearful as the young lady we chased out of the theater. It was a memorable experience all around, and it cemented Invasion of the Body Snatchers in my mind as a true classic. I have posters of Night and Invasion hanging in my room together to this day. A memory of a wonderfully horrible life moment I will never forget. That is all for this week's look at Famous Monsters of Filmland. We will have more soon. For MKR, this is Kenny saying adios.
terrific names and scream evil. Together in one shock show. Horror of Frankenstein and Scars of Dracula. Your ticket entitles you to be frightened out of your wits at no extra charge. Horror of Frankenstein and Scars of Dracula. In color, rated R. It could be true, you know. There could actually be a man named Barnabas Collins. And he could actually be a real vampire. House of Dark Shadows from MGM. See how the vampires do it. Rated GP, all ages, parental guidance. Chester Morris, Marla English, Kathy Downs, Lance Fuller, Tom Conway, Frida Innescourt, and Ron Randall. It's an adventure into the occult, such as few people have known, and only those who see it can believe. You're not going for that supernatural hokum of his. I don't really know what I'm going for. I know he's a killer. Now you are traveling back through time and space. Farther, farther back. Back. Under his spell, she was both herself and another being. The she-creature seeking life sustenance from the stolen heartbeats of others. She was a woman born to be loved. And two men wanted her. One a man whose powerful mad mind controlled her every reflex except her love. No! The other, willing to fight any odds for her love. You've been living in shadows. I want to bring you back to life. Society dances to hide the hysterical terror caused by their sudden intimacy with death. Forever closer comes the she-creature. You'll never forget. This is Count Vlad, but you may recognize me by my more familiar name, Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. In your parlance, you might call these revelations spoilers. You know how the children of the night Ah, I mean monster kids can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. The last movie we talked about here on Monster Kid Radio was the 1978 Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And I haven't slept since because I don't want to be replaced by a pod person. Steve, have you fallen asleep? Mm, uh, I'm going to say no. Oh, no. That's exactly what a pod person would say. I'm going to say maybe. (laughs) (laughs) 
Steve Sullivan, how you doing, man? I, I'm doing really well, actually. I've been, I've been, <laughs> I hate to say this in the context, but I've actually been sleeping really well lately, which is, uh, you know, <laughs> unironically trying to say that because, you know, I mean, uh, I've had more than a little trouble sleeping during the pandemic, but not, but not lately. I'm not sure what has changed, but lately I am sleeping better. Are you? <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, man. Now we decided to go back and watch the original Invasion. Now, I'd seen it more than once at this point. Historically, though, this is a movie that is pretty new to my, uh, I don't know, movie-watching diet. Yeah, repertoire. you just watched um, it, like, last year with, like, yeah. three other features that you, one of these. I've never seen these three, and people think they're classics, and this is one of them. Yeah, this one, uh, The Incredible Shrinking Man, and was it The Innocence? I think it might have been The Innocence. Oh, those are all great films. Oh, yeah, I agree. I agree. And it kills me that Incredible Shrinking Man is getting a Criterion release. That's amazing. But, I mean, it kills me because, you know, it's money, but it's amazing it's coming out on Criterion. Yeah, no, that's very cool. Actually, I think I might have bought, well, I have it on the old set, there was a, like a universal sci-fi set and I have it on that and not knowing that it was coming out on Criterion, I was on Voodoo, uh, which is VUDU. They have some of the features from those DVD sets in HD, Blu-ray quality for five bucks. So I'm pretty sure Incredible Shrinking Man is one of the ones I picked up. It was like, oh, there's no Blu-ray of this. I'll get it in HD on, on Voodoo. So but now Criterion will put stuff on that I want, right? right? It's like it's like the Body Snatchers is another one of those. It's like, okay, I've got a I've got a, a good old DVD. Well, the good old DVD I, I've got looked really great, but it was not anamorphic. It was widescreen, but not anamorphic. It's like, okay, I yeah. need to upgrade this, so I've got this brilliant film in the best possible way to view it so criterion huh yeah so for me it was even more egregious because of the three that i just mentioned incredible shrinking man is the one that i had in my collection uh, i had a german blu-ray of it wow and uh and i mean it's in english with german subtitles i can turn on and off it's got like a little uh is there a little interview with the director and there might have been an interview with the director on there not a lot of special features that i could understand but i had it on blue and i just never got around to watching it so that's what i ended up watching I'm excited, though, that Criterion and Universal are working together on this one. Is this the first time a Universal genre picture has gone to Criterion? It might be. Now, now that you mention it, off the top of my head, I can't really think of any other. Now I'm sure one of the listeners will call in or write in and say, oh, yeah, you dummies, of course it was the, and then rattle off some film. But no, I can't, I can't think of any, you know, and there aren't a lot of the, aside from the creature, they, mm -hmm. There haven't been a lot of universal sci-fi films, you know, counting the creature as one, that have right. been out on Blu-ray with any kind of extras on it. You know, I mentioned I'd, I'd bought uh, Incredible Shrinking Man. I also bought Tarantula that way because Tarantula is out on blue, but it has no extra features, right? It's just a Blu-ray. That's another one that I picked up in German, I think. Right. For whatever reason, some company in Germany picked up the rights to do some universal sci-fi stuff. Don't understand it. Hooray for them. But yeah, good for them. And heck, France was putting out before the, the big push for all the movies out here on blue. France had some of them on Blu-ray. Some of the uh, the traditional monsters and things like Dracula's Daughter and things were coming out on blue over there. Right. So, well, and you, you know, I mean, there's always that kind of interesting 
uh, you know, here here we are. We've got better stuff in Europe than you do where you made it. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Curse of the Demon, I think, is one of those, right? The I think the mm-hmm. Arrow Blu-ray I've got is zero region, but I think it originated in Europe somewhere. Right, Could be yeah. wrong, but and it's a brilliant Blu-ray. Oh, it's gorgeous. And if you and I didn't pick it up this way, I wish I had. If I was one of the first, what whatever one hundred or whatever, it actually came with the card, the business card. Oh, neat. <laughs> I wonder if <laughs> which would have been. Awesome, I wonder if when but, you opened it, you actually saw the words, and then later it would be blank. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Allowed two weeks. Yeah. But no, that that's a brilliant release. A brilliant release. It is. Speaking of what we're allowed, are we going to do the the classic five? Wow. <laughs> I know, not my best uh, Paul Lind imitation this morning, but not not too terrible, maybe. Well, you know what? What's helpful is us uh, listeners. I don't know if you saw this, but if you actually experienced this the way that I did, but Steve just made my editing a little tiny bit easier because now I don't have to drop an insert. I don't have to put that clip in. <laughs> he just did it live. That's right. Yeah, we can dive. We can dive right into it if you want, man. Sure. I mean, let's give it a shot. You know, I mean, who who else is on the dub of that now? It's- uh, okay, so we've got you, Kenny, uh, Chris McMillan, uh-huh. and occasionally Robert Kelly from Record All Monsters. He's been on the show a few times. Okay, cool. I'm I'm sure I've heard him, but uh, it, he's the one of those three people that I don't know personally. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Record All Monsters, fantastic podcast. I've been on there a few times. I'm not just saying that because I've been on there a few times. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's a great show. I, I'm a big fan of it. Good podcasts out there. And, you know, I mean, you, you yeah. had Penny Dreadful on a couple of weeks ago. And, and she's just awesome anyway. And her new but, yeah. is just, oh, man, as a Dark Shadows right? Fan, I'm like, oh, give me more. Give me more. <laughs> Yeah, no, and, and I adore her anyway. She's just, she's so cool. And uh, to have her talking about her passion, you know, Dark Shadows, she is such a fan. Yeah, it's huge. It's I, awesome. I'm not going to say that she's a bigger fan than any of the other people that I know in my life, but uh, if I were to have like a, a trilogy, a trinity of Dark Shadow fans, it'd be you, Dominique, and Penny Dreadful. Yep. So, I mean, just like <laughs> right up there at the top. I was going to say, I know? think Dominique and I are willing to fight her for that. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, but that's why I'm not saying one's better than the I'm just saying. That y'all, you know, no, we, we all have a deep and abiding love of the show. So, well, and I love it too. I just don't have the history with it. Right. So I think I feel like if I had the history, I'd be able to hang with you guys. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's I it's, just don't have the history, you know, man. Since I got to watch a, a good chunk of the original run on television right. first aired. It's it's basically it's in my DNA. It has body right. snatched me to bring me back to the topic of today's thing. <laughs> so like wow. you open me up, and inside there is dark shadows. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not a question. What are the questions this week? I don't. I, I'm sorry. I just got disturbed by this whole opening up Steve and seeing what's inside thing. <laughs> um, all right. The Classic Five. For people who don't know, if you're a first time viewer or if you forgot since last week, it's a game that we play here on the show. I've got a literal deck of cards here. There are this or that, which movie do you prefer style questions on here? There are no wrong answers. It's just a way to get monster kids talking about their favorite topic, monster movies. It's not a trivia game. It's just fun. Yep. Uh, you can pick up your own copy of this online over at drive through cards. I'll put a link in the show notes and uh, I know I keep talking about it, but yeah, for real this time I am working on the updated decks. Uh, there will be a seventies expansion. That'll be coming. I'm really excited about that one because it's going to have a disco ball in the, uh, on the back of the card, <laughs> uh, right there in the circle. Uh, <laughs> uh, they are color coded for the most part. You know, if it's green, it's a kaiju. If it's red, it's hammer. 
If there's a globe, it's universal. And soon, if there's a disco ball, it'll be a 70s question. Steve, are you ready to play a round of the Classic Five? As ready as I ever am. I think we've probably asked every question in this deck at least four or five times of everybody at this point. Possible. But answers can change. They can. If there's a repeat here, sit tight, and maybe Steve will have a different answer than what you've heard him say before. And uh, I'm going to pull one from the 70s here right now, and we may have even done this live during the Monster Kid Movie Club. What's your favorite sequel to Planet of the Apes? Ooh, I heard you ask that of someone the other day. I'm still going to say Beneath, because Weird Mutants and Charlton Heston and and an unexpected ending. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which we won't spoil for those that haven't seen it, but it, it sure took me by surprise. I didn't see uh, those. Y- it, me too. <laughs> I didn't see those. I've seen them all in the theater since, but I didn't see, I don't think I saw any of them in the theater when they first came out. Um, it's really interesting. I remember it was probably around 1967 ish that when I went trick or treating that Halloween, they had the Planet of the apes, bubblegum cards. So I actually saw the bubblegum cards and had a bunch of the bubblegum cards before I saw the movie. And then I, huh. I saw the movies on television eventually as a kid. And eventually, I, I, as I said, I've seen them all in the theater now. The only good human is a dead human. The bizarre world you met on the planet of the apes was just the beginning. What lies beneath may be the end. 20th Century Fox takes you beneath the planet of the apes. This is the year 3955 AD. The apes are building a war machine aimed at planet domination. Superhuman mutants strike back with new and terrifying weapons of the mind. In the atomic rubble of what was once the city of New York, civilization's final battle is about to begin. The only good human is a dead human! Beneath the planet of the apes. With James Franciscus, Kim Hunter, Maurice Evans, Linda Harrison, and Charlton Heston. Can a world long endure half ape, half man? The answer lies deep beneath the planet of the apes. In color, rated G, general audiences. Nothing compares to the first one. The first one is just, it's it's a bona fide five-star classic. It is a brilliant film, end to end. Mm -hmm. I enjoy every one of the the original series of the eight movies. But yeah, it's going to be Beneath the Planet of the Apes for me. I get the names mixed up. I know Beneath is the one that has the, oh my God, ending right, that that's the second one. blew me out of my seat. Um, the third one is the one that I dig. If I had to go to a sequel, the that's, third one for me. just Escape. It's got a sense of fun until it doesn't. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> until, until it gets very 70s toward the end. Yeah, uh, and you know, listeners, uh, I discovered these films so much later in the game. Uh, Scott Morris kind of was my guide through them all. And man, I just imagine him sitting there with this grin on his face every time he talked about me watching the second one, knowing full well I had no idea what was coming Right? Yeah. No, at the end of that like movie. A, it was like you were actually there in the in the first, you know, because, in, in I mean, the theater watching. We all knew. It's like, whoa, what the heck? Well, in the first one, if you don't know what's going to happen in the first one, the ending of the first one. I mean, they one. put it on the poster. They put it on the... And it's like Donald Sutherland in the remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. It's one of those memeable moments. Right, that, yeah. Unfortunately... You know, we, we know it whether we've seen the movie all, or not. It's all completely spoiled, like the end of Psycho and stuff now. Sadly, because if you actually got to see those without knowing what was coming, those kind of endings, yeah. are, they stick with you for life. Yeah. All right, question number two. In your mind, what's the most underrated vampire film? Oh, that's a good question. 
Underrated. You know, maybe Return of the Vampire with Bela Lugosi. Mm, that's a good one. It's it's a great one, and because it's not universal, I think it tends to get overlooked. And it's got a werewolf mm-hmm. in it too, which is just blew my mind as a child when I first saw it. I was like, "Wow, this has got a vampire and a werewolf, and the werewolf talks. What's going on here?" It was a good year for Monster Man. I mean, I think that was the year that Frankenstein meets a Wolfman came out too, wasn't it? It may have been, you know. I, so yeah, I that was the Monster Meetup year. <laughs> Enough people probably seen that. More people should see it. Is what I'm saying. So there's that. Yeah. If I were to go to something more modern, um, the third of the Hammer Dracula films, which is okay, it's Prince of Darkness, and what yeah. is the third one? I can't remember. But it's the run with Veronica Carlson in it, and it's got uh, and that one, whichever one it is, is would be my more modern vampire. And and it, in some ways, it's kind of a cheat because you know, Chris Lee, Bela Lugosi, people know who they are and that kind of stuff. And I wish I I could say, oh yeah, it's the uh, oh what's the one what's the one that you and I watched on? Did we do the show on it? I think um, that was based on the the story by. Um, Lee Brackett. Is it Lee Brackett? You know what I'm talking about, right? The, the one that was set I, in Africa. We've done so many of these movies. I know, I know. And it's like, and I I can see, I can walk upstairs and lay my hands on it right now. There's there's this great one that was based on a, a short story, and it's set in Africa, and it's completely spacing on the name of it right now. That's a very cool one, too, that people haven't seen. And I'm sure... You, clearly, that one's underrated, since we can't remember what it is. Hey, no, no. <laughs> well, that's because it wasn't... We hadn't... You and I hadn't seen this thing, and very few people had until fairly recently, even though it is on DVD, and that's how we, we ended up finding it. Yeah, I'm drawing a complete blank. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna... We're both gonna kick ourselves when we figure it out. It's like... Uh, sometimes, you know, it's fairly early in the day here. It's fairly early in the day there. Sometimes the things just don't want to get out of your old brain and onto your tongue where you can share them. So uh, the Hammer Dracula films, Dracula, Brides of Dracula, Prince of Darkness, Dracula's Risen, Risen from, the from the Grave. Yes, I love that yeah. one. Then Taste the Blood, Scars of 8072, Satanic Rites, and then Seven Golden Vampires. Risen from the Grave is the one that, that I that I, I love a lot, even though it's got the weird vampire vision thing where there's kind of a, a blood red <laughs> circle around some of the scenes, which I think is annoying, distracting, but I love that film. And I think it's, I think it's kind of underrated because so many, so many people love uh, taste the blood, which I'm, I'm kind of mediocre around it. It's good. I mean, I love all the, the Chris Lee Dracula films mm-hmm. to some extent. There's another one in that round that's, the the last one, Satanic Rites of Dracula, I think is seriously underrated. I love it. I I actually think it's better than eighty seventy two. Um, oh, I love them both, man. But I, I love them both. As I said, the the entire Lee Dracula Hammer run, I really love, and I actually should go back and watch Seven Golden Vampires, even though Lee's not in that as well. But I love that whole series. Yeah. So. Oh yeah. So there we've got. Uh, Two vampire movies to check out, and the one that Derek and I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that was card number two. Question number three, in honor of what we're doing in the Monster Kid Movie Club this weekend, favorite Boris Karloff film? Oh, man. I'm going to say The Black Cat. Nice. Uh, I really wish I could show that. I wish I could show that. I know. That. I know. <laughs> it's so good. It is. It is. And it's it's a really hard call for me because I love so many of Boris's films. You know, I mean, the his version of The Walking Dead, 
that Michael Curtiz directed mm-hmm. is an amazing film, and he's really, really good at it. I, and mm-hmm. it's one people don't talk about a lot, but when I think of iconic Karloff performances, you know, you can go with the monster, and I love the monster, but it, in some sense, it doesn't show off Karloff to his full extent. But the Black Cat, you get the best of Boris Karloff, and you get the best of Bela Lugosi. And Karloff, mm-hmm. Karloff is a Satanist who's <laughs> who's first married and then killed Bela's wife, and then is now married to Bela's daughter. Oh, what? Yeah, yeah. it's just super creepy. <laughs> it's great. Oh, it's so good. It is so good. I'm a big fan of the films where Karloff gets to play a little cheeky, a little broad. Uh-huh. So things like the boogeyman will get you or you'll find out. I, I know in terms of like quality of film, no, they're not nearly as stunning. It's a black cat, but you know, they're just kind of fun. And I think Karloff, when he's just having fun, it's just fun to be with. He is just taking a with, blast you know? in the Corman version of the Raven as, yes. as the wizard. Even funnier than that for me with almost the same cast is the, the comedy of terrors, mm-hmm. which has, and Vincent and, and, and uh, Peter Laurie. And is, <laughs> if you haven't seen this, Vincent Price and Peter Laurie are undertakers and they have only one coffin because they're always broke. So they have to, every time they conduct a funeral, they put the person in the one coffin and then they have to dump them and, and get the co- <laughs> and get the coffin back <laughs> for the next funeral. And it's just, it's very broad <laughs> and it's very funny. And Boris Karloff plays Vincent's father-in-law, um, of the father of Vincent's overbearing wife, who is very, yep. very funny too. And... And Karloff is kind of this doddering old man that Vincent is constantly trying to poison to get him out of his life. So <laughs> it's a very, for me, that's very funny. And that's, that's kind of, those two are for me, although I like the ones you mentioned too. Yeah, no, they're Those they're two great. to me um, are, are Boris at his funny, funny best. But yeah. Boris at his menacing best for me, it's the black cat. He's just yep. super creepy. And Boris, at his sympathetic best, maybe the guy in The Walking Dead who has been wrongly executed and brought back to life. Anyway, that's lots of lots of answers to a simple question. No, it's, it's all good, man. That's what this game's about. That's what this game's about. All right. You know what? Uh, let's do this. Uh, favorite Roger Corman film. Oh, man. <laughs> There's so many. So, so many. The Haunted Palace is way, way up there. I, mm-hmm. I really love that one. Um, you know, the Lovecraft connection is really obvious. It's got a great cast, a great, uh, a great performance uh, by Vincent Price. We've got Lon Chaney Jr. in it. That one popped right into my mind. But then part of me is like, well, yeah, but you're ignoring the she creature. <laughs> you're ignoring, you know, uh, just leaving out ones that he produced, I guess. So Death Race. Uh, three thousand wouldn't wouldn't make it, but all the Poe films are are really really good. I think Tomb of Lygia might be my favorite of those. The, oh wow! Okay, the Mask of the Red Death is really hard to. That's a hard one to ignore. I think I actually accidentally bought two different versions of that on Blu-ray. One one by its one by itself and one on a set. <laughs> I still need to watch it. I I have it in a set. 
Uh, I have the three Vincent Price sets that Shout Factory put out over the years. Uh, and it's in there. Yep. I've never watched it. Oh. <laughs> and I need to, I know. Yeah, you should. It's really, really <laughs> good. Uh, uh. And, I, and, and I know that as soon as we're off thing, this, I'm going to go, oh, idiot, you should have said... But they're literally there's so many Corman pictures I love, and then and then they get mixed up in my head with ones he only he only produced like Piranha and, and Death Race, mm-hmm. and, which are things that I, I completely love. Death Race is an amazing, an amazing black comedy. Death Race 2000, yeah. early Sylvester Stallone, man. Yep, uh, but Roger didn't direct that, so just keeping to yeah. what he directed. For now, I'm going to say The Haunted Palace. Okay. One more. We were talking a little bit about this earlier. What movie needs a Criterion release? Oh, okay. All right. What movie needs a Criterion release? Monos the Handsome. <laughs> well, we got such a great release. I know, on I know. That actually I feel like a crit- Criterion could not do any better than the guy that released that. The only way they could do better is if they had like a new print that was even better, you know, better transfer and a bunch of awesome documentaries that hadn't been done yet. Right. But I can't, I can't imagine. That's not going to happen. It's even on the radar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, the stuff is already out there and that's a, that's a great disc. Uh, You know, until this last year, I would have said like the thing or the war of the worlds, but we've just gotten, you know, good Blu-rays of both of those. Um, So that's, that seems of the thing did we yeah there's a there's a good blu-ray that came out last year it doesn't have it's not like packed with stuff but it looks looks insane. the thing from another world yeah the thing from another world huh the original one i didn't realize that. yeah yeah there's there's an actual official blu-ray release now you know having said that it'll probably turn out to be oh yeah that was a limited edition now it's on a print but yeah i just picked it up Aren't they all? Last two I, <laughs> yes. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I just ended up picking up a, a couple of Nashy uh, limited edition Blu-rays that I, had, you know, missed just months earlier and ended up paying twice twice the going rate for them, which was, if I weren't a Nashy fiend, I wouldn't have done it. So I'm still dodging the question, though. I am going to say, and uh, we desperately need a... Criterion Blu-ray of It Conquered the World. Ooh, okay. I like it. What's this all about? What's everybody running from? It's the end of everything. What do you mean? I'm not arguing theory, General. I'm here to ask you, to beg you, to save your own world. It, 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 the most most fascinating mastermind man can conceive. A monster that can control all sources of the Earth's power. Able to pull man-made spaceships from their orbits. Making of those it chooses slaves. Of this woman, a willing handmaiden. Of the chief of police, a cold-blooded killer. Well, I've known you for five years. You just killed a man in cold blood. Why? I'll have to place you under protective custody. Peter Graves, the scientist who fought it. Beverly Garland, who believed her love stronger than it. Lee Van Cleef whose brilliant mind was captured by it. Are you really ready to stop loving me? I'll need you even when no emotion exists. For a few dollars, you can you can hire a woman who'll fit all your fetishes. She'll match your requirements perfectly. And if you ever get tired of her, you can always run down to the employment agency for another. You'll know terror to freeze your blood. 
feel the heart-stopping strength of the most fearful monster ever known. You think you're going to make a slave of the world? I'll see you in hell first! It conquered the world. And if you wanted to team that up with uh, uh, Amazing Colossal Man or Teenage Werewolf and Teenage Frankenstein, Actually, oh my there's God. my set. Can you imagine an AIP set? I want my AIP Criterion set with those four films in it. A complete AIP set, not splitting up the library the way that they did. Yeah, a complete, a complete one would be really, AIP really good. Genre set. But I'd settle for oh. just the four that haven't come out on, that aren't out on DVD in any in the U.S. in any legal way. I don't think they're available overseas either, legally. Yeah, I'm now that I've got an all-region Blu-ray, I should look into that some more. But, yeah, I'm not sure they're available anywhere, which means the last time they were out was VHS, which just let that sink in for a minute. <laughs> so what we're talking about here in particular are uh, Teenage Frankenstein and Teenage Werewolf, the two classic films. These are phenomenal movies, and I'll have words with anybody who says otherwise. Uh, Whit Bissell's in both of them. Michael Landon's in Teenage Frank or Teenage Werewolf. And, and Gary, what's his name? He was in uh, The Land of the Giants. Why am I spacing out on his name? Uh, there, there's a well-known actor in, in Teenage Frankenstein yeah. as the Frankenstein monster. The titular Teenage Frankenstein. Conway. Gary, Gary Conway. Conway, that's it. While they're not necessarily connected, they both kind of feed into how to make a monster, which you can get easily on disc now. And that's because when one of the people that <laughs> there were two, princi- I, I don't know, there were two principles, of the two company. principal people behind AIP. And when and, they split, they split up the movies that each one got in their amiable breakup. It's like they divided their community property and some of them ended up with, you know, once the original guy died, they're owned by the wife, and you know her name, and I, I keep forgetting it. Susan Hart, I believe. Susan Hart, that's it. Has the rights to these and has just not released them. On, so they had on, a VHS on. release, which I owned. Uh, there, there was a whole series, and they were all branded the same way. They were the VHS box case. It looked like a brick wall with a movie poster on it, and the movie poster was the movie in the in the set and teenage frankenstein teenage werewolf uh, i think machine gun kelly was released that way uh just a handful of the aip releases right a- invasion of the saucer man is another one yeah man. yeah and like an idiot i sold all my vhs at one point uh, so i don't have them right so there, there's like these five cl- at least five classic monster movies uh, start- one of the colossal men right yeah the original one which is so I, I don't understand how they broke up or why they broke things up the way that they did, especially with the Colossal Men movies. Right. Yeah. Um, well, and, and with the, the Frankenstein, the how to make a monster Frankenstein thing. So War of the Colossal Beast, you can get the Amazing yeah. Colossal Man. Can't get can't get Amazing Colossal Man. Can't get uh, It Conquered the World, which is my favorite of all of those. I, I love It Conquered the World. It I would Conquered love the it. World's great. Well, the monster design, the alien design, that is fantastic. It's, it's a classic. And and. Both a classic and classically made fun of. It's like people like to to mock it, but I love it. Oh, it's great. These movies have had unofficial bootleg gray market slash black market releases. So they are out there. I'm not going to promote that kind of thing here. Right. But I will admit to having bought uh, (laughs) (laughs) Teenage Frankenstein on on DVD from a bootlegger years ago. And I remember I upset the guy selling it. Because I insisted 
on him playing the DVD and his little monitor there to prove to me that it had the color ending because I had heard stories about how there was bootlegs of Teenage Frankenstein that got out there that didn't switch to color for the last like 20 seconds, the way that this movie does. It's been so uh, long and since I've seen that, I'd forgotten that. Yeah, so he gets thrown into the machinery and everything goes to color oh, in the cool. end. Uh, and what had happened was is some TV station was showing the movie and they had everything set for black and white and they had right. everything balanced everything for black and white. And whoever was in the control booth just wasn't paying attention, didn't know that color was coming. So right. they had to flip some sort of switch to make it go to color. So it just aired in black and white. And that happened to be what people recorded and then started bootlegging off of. Now, the DVD that I ended up buying illegally, uh, <laughs> and the statute <laughs> of limitations might be up on that one. I don't I know. I think it might be. Uh, it does have the color version. So, our video pirates. <laughs> That you know, it's a thing, man. And I know that once conventions start picking up, you're going to start seeing them again. Some of the more reputable conventions uh, do not allow that kind of thing happening anymore. But if you know where to look, you'll find it. Uh, I'm just not going to encourage it or tell you how to find it. It's going to chances are it's going to be VHS quality, which is really yeah. annoying. You know, I mean that's yeah. that's the terrible thing is that you can find these things, but they're all kind of VHS recorded off the air kind of stuff and not not from tcm or you know one of the really good pay channels that ran them uncut they're going to be dodgy prints anyway criterion should do a collection a susan hart collection with all of at least all of the monster related movies that are are in her possession especially for you might be able to throw is the viking one part of that I don't, I don't know. Maybe, but there, there are some other ones too. I'd I'd love to have all of the ones she's she's holding on to. Criterion should release them, but especially it conquered the world, and that's going to be my answer until those come out. Yeah, and and I don't see it happening, unfortunately. Um, last I heard, and I haven't looked into it recently, but last I heard, she's been waiting for the right deal, thinking that they're going to make a lot of money off of it. And while they will make probably a chunk at the very beginning, it's not going to have long term passive income for him just because of what it is right uh and how few of us are out there <laughs> buying dvds anymore for blu-rays uh, right but yeah, we're yeah, becoming it's becoming more and more a collector's market you know a few years ago the guy who runs the drive-in up here got a hold of me he's like i, I want to show some monster movies what would you recommend and i got him in contact with uh, susan hart's people mm-hmm. um and he actually spoke with with her uh about bringing in like teenage Frankenstein or specifically I think it was teenage werewolf. Uh, I'm not sure where it broke down in terms of what that conversation happened because it didn't, it didn't show. Bummer. Uh, but man, Oh man. There may be 35 millimeter prints out there that you could still rent for of those. I don't oh, know. I'm sure. I'm sure. You know, I hope man. anyway, oh, that's man. my answer. All right. Well, that's the classic five. And Hey, I don't think I'd answered any of those before. Good. Well, maybe the Karloff one, which yeah, is all. <laughs> I think everybody at this point that's been on the show has answered that one. Well, let's switch gears. Let's talk about a movie yeah. from 1956. Yeah, 1956. Yep, starring, oh man, a super unhinged Kevin McCarthy, who's just amazing. It's Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original film. Will you tell these fools I'm not crazy? Make them listen to me before it's too late. Listen to me. Please, listen. If you don't, if you won't, if you fail to understand, then the same incredible terror that's menacing me will strike at you! 
come from another world, spawned in the light years of space, unleashed to take over the bodies and souls of the people of our planet, bringing a new dimension in terror to the giant super scope screen. Whatever intelligence or instinct it is that can govern the forming of human flesh and blood out of thin air is fantastically powerful, beyond any comprehension. A cursed, dreadful, malevolent thing was happening to those he loved. This isn't just an ordinary body, is it? I never saw one like it. It looks... unused. The sensational star discovery of the view from Poppy's head. And now an undreamed of horror makes her life and love a vortex of fear. Jack! I don't know. Suddenly, while you're asleep, they'll absorb your minds, your memories. I don't want any part of it. You're forgetting something, Miles. What's that? You have no choice. From city to city, an incredible hysterical panic spreads. As the unimaginable becomes real, the impossible becomes true. Stop and listen! Stop and listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! We'll say this up front because there's no beating around the bush. It is a superb film. It's a five mm-hmm. star. It's a five star science fiction monster film. Although I was surprised watching it again the other night how strong the high, kind of da 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 horror stings are in it. <laughs> <laughs> I had kind of forgotten that since the last time. I, and part of me was like, they're hitting that a little on the nose, aren't they? But yeah, just that's true. maybe despite that, or maybe because of it, you know, in some sense, it's like it, that's of the time and you can't take that away. It's a great film in every sense of the world. Let's just jump to the music first, because I, I'm going to bring it up anyway. The music's by a guy by the name of Carmen Dragon. So first of all, coolest name ever for a composer. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> Hard to beat. Um, Carmen Dragon. Ah, oh, that's just... That's like a supervillain name. I, I don't know. That's just <laughs> awesome. I don't know anything about him. I don't know what else he's done. Oh, he's got a uh, Wikipedia I, entry. I see. He does. And he did a lot of stuff for like radio and TV and film. Just a lot of stuff. But I know nothing about him. And and I don't know if this is the only genre thing he did. I should look at his internet movie database listing. Um, he's even got an official website, supposedly. But yeah, I want to know more about this dude because I really love this music. He, okay, let's be honest. We love these monster movies so much, but after a while, you hear the creature from the Black Lagoon sing in everything. Everything, <laughs> and while that's comforting, and and there's a certain sense of instant nostalgia, it's nice to hear something a little different every once in a while. Mm-hmm. And you hear something like the music from this; it's got all the, the the earmarks, all the the notes of a classic horror movie, right from the fifties. But it's just different enough to be surprising. Mm-hmm. And I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. Yeah, I was just surprised how strong it comes on in mm-hmm. the surprise scenes. And it's a part of me was like, wow, that, that's really kind of over the top. And another part of me was like, but it's fitting. It's, yeah. It's fitting. It's like, yeah, okay, it's the 1950s. We are allowed to have stings as strong as the creature from the Black Lagoon bum, in bum, not bum. creature movies. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. 
Uh, it looks like this might have been the last film he worked on. He did some television work after that. But this is the last movie in his uh, filmography. Oh, too bad. Uh, it looks like the rest of the stuff that he did was non-genre. You know, maybe some drama or maybe even film noir. Right. Well, you know, you always there were always people you run into that, that they did this one brilliant genre film thing, and then they were like, "Nah, I don't, I don't believe in doing that." The uh, Jerome Montrose who did The Valley of Guanji was like, ah, "The monster movie. Uh, it wasn't really my best stuff." And I've listened to his uh, I've listened to his other stuff, and <laughs> Jerome Montrose Valley of Guanji is your best stuff, man. You know. <laughs> And the, the 78 Invasion, you know, is the only film that guy did. Really? Uh-huh. Wow. Okay. He was a jazz musician who, you know, did it because he knew Philip Kaufman and he was done. <laughs> like, that was fun. I never want to do it again. So, yeah. Well, and, yeah. That, and that, you know, that's another good score there, too. And you get some good stuff, some stuff that kind of comes from outside of the traditional bum, 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 but it still has all those notes. And I love it for that. I love yeah. it for that. Yeah, so I got the music out of the way. Uh, changing it up a little bit. Okay. Yeah, no, uh, I, I love music. You know, I've um, I probably don't have as quite as extensive a collection as you do, but I have a huge collection of film music, and I often, all when I'm writing serious prose, it's always sound soundtracks oh, yeah. that oh, yeah. that are up on my players, always. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so this this one's it's it's good. It's cool. It's cool, and it fits the film. It fits the time. Anyway, we're going to spoil this, right? <laughs> yeah, there's there's no getting around it. I mean, and, and it's one of those movies that we, it's in the culture, right? If you're a monster kid, if you're listening to this, if you have any passing interest in monster movies, horror movies at all, the minute you say the words pod person, you know what we're talking about. Kevin McCarthy plays a doctor who returns to his hometown after uh, a vacation, runs into his old flame, uh, who's also just returned to town, both of them are recently divorced, so they kind of start hanging out together. And the town seems to have been infected with uh, this meme that my father is not my father, my sister is not my sister, my mom is not my mom. People think that the the people that they know and love have been replaced or something has gone wrong with them. And they do quickly find out that, yes, they are indeed being replaced by the the titular body snatchers who are derived from pods. Thus, the pod people is like huge bean pods and a very cool prop. That would be a great prop to own. And they're actually literally being duplicated by creatures coming out of these pods that then are mysteriously, in this version, replacing the original people we don't actually see what happens to the original people but they're gone and they've been replaced by people that look and sound and act almost exactly like the original people but they're not and uh, our hero and our heroine battle through this to the the ending of the movie which uh, originally had a a very uh, kind of bleak they're here <laughs> beware they're coming to get you that's the trailer. Yeah, that's in the trailer, basically. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting. Uh, we've touched on it just briefly that that was the original end. And because the studio was like, oh, that's way too bleak. They actually tacked on an end where someone actually believes Kevin McCarthy's character and maybe does something about it. Um, uh, you get more Whip Bissell, man. I'm down with that. Yeah, well, exactly. We were talking about this uh, a little bit off air, I think, that some of these things where the studio came in and said, yeah, you need a a different ending on that. Sometimes that actually really works for me. 
uh, I was listening to someone talk about actually be movecast talk about Big Trouble in Little China and those, which is a film I love, love, love. That's oh, it's great. It's one of my favorite films from the era and one of my my favorite John Carpenter films, probably my favorite John Carpenter film, period, aside from maybe the thing. But anyway, there's the beginning of that where Egg Chen is talking to the cop detective that is completely disconnected from the rest of the movie. Apparently, that was tacked on to the the studio made them shoot that because without that scene, it didn't look like Jack Burton was the hero of that film. And Jack Burton kind of isn't the hero of the film. Oh, no, not at all. But I love that opening scene so much that I don't mind. <laughs> it's like just another another weird part of that weird film. And this is one of those. Yeah, okay. I, I get why they did that and from a studio point of view. And it does, in some sense, lessen the impact. And I thought I heard, I don't know, maybe this is on the Blu-ray. Someone said or read somewhere that someone had actually seen the cut where it ends the way the director wanted it to. And that it hmm. was... You know, it was very impactful. But that the tacked-on ending doesn't, uh, for me, it doesn't hurt it that much. And it kind of does set up, in some sense, the a little bit of the 78 where Kevin McCarthy actually comes back and then reprises a similar role. And it's interesting, the kind of, the kind of continuity between. There are four versions of this movie. There's this one, which is... At least. Uh, <laughs> A great film. There's the 78 one, which is a great film. Then there's one from, I think it's 93. That's, that was the only one I had seen before any of this. And that's not bad. Eh. It's it's very, it's kind of plays like an 80s film. It has a set of scenes at the end where I thought, I really, you know, I bet the studio made them put that scene in. <laughs> the scenes where everything's getting blown up. I think maybe the studio had something to do with that. And then there's the Nicole Kidman, Daniel Craig one, which I watched for the first time last night, which also has this very kind of studio. Uh, and it's all fine now <laughs> ending to it. I'm like, Oh really? Because this one seemed way more bleak than any of the others in terms of uh, how it was going to turn out. And that one, weirdly um, and eerily at this point is actually treated as a pandemic in which it actually is a, it's like a viral thing rather than pods. Mm. And part of me was like, Oh, that's that right now <laughs> with the pandemic still going on. That was really kind of creepy and weird. And yeah. also, also interesting as to how they thought a pandemic might play out too. Oh, how little they knew. <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> Well, in some ways they got it right, and in other ways they got it completely wrong. But it also has that kind of studio happy ending, which the only one that that seems to have carried through its mission all the way to the end is the 78 one. I'm trying to remember how the one from the 90s ended. All I remember is the one from the 90s as a line of dialogue, and I don't know why it's stuck in my brain, but what are you going to do? Where are you going to go? nowhere because there's no one like you left and that's all i remember from that film that's a i don't know cool why line. that sticks in my brain <laughs> yeah it's great but why <laughs> why is my gray matters like hey i need to remember this one that's a good thing to, that's not a terrible thing to remember that's actually a good thing but to of remember. all the things in the world to remember yeah <laughs> yeah well the end the end of it since we're being a little spoilery anyway there's the uh, the guy in the helicopter blows up a lot of the the pod people and thereby saves the world thing which mm. it's kind of a set of scenes inserted before the end 
I, I really felt like, okay, the studio said, okay, you've got to have them. You can't have the pods taking over the world and them just getting out and, and the heroes escaping with those that are left. You actually have to have some conclusion. You have to vanquish the evil, which is, you know, what you, what we get in the, yeah. And the in those later two, they vanquish the evil, apparently. Whereas this one, at least there's that we found out, but are we in time? And then the, the 78 one. 78's a great one. Really, really a lot of fun. Okay, anyway, back to the 56, which is fabulous and has this great cast. Great cast. Kevin McCarthy's amazing. Uh, I, I wish, and, and I know he's done some, but I, I, I wish he was one of these guys that just did a whole bunch of monster movies, right? Yep. I know he's done a lot, but yeah, he's just awesome. Well, he's in this, he's in the 78 remake, and he's in Piranha. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, oh boy, that's like, that's a great trilogy to be in, dude. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm down with that. Is he in Gremlins, too, or one of the Gremlins movies now that I I'm thinking about it? I don't think he's yeah. in Gremlins. Uh, he's in Matinee. Okay, all right. He's in the, the the fake film within a film. He did do a lot of Joe Dante stuff, but Dante loves his stuff, right? Right, yeah. Uh, he even plays Dr. Bunnell in the Looney Tunes movie Joe Dante did. So, <laughs> you know. But I don't think he made it into Gremlins. I thought he was in one of the Gremlins movies. But anyway, he, oh, he was in the Twilight Zone movie. Of course he was. Yeah. Oh, he's in The Howling. He's in, uh, obviously, in the, the Invasion of Body Snatchers. Oh, he's in Hero at Large. I'd forgotten that. Have you ever seen Hero at Large? I have not. It is an early superhero movie with John Ritter. That's the John Ritter, yeah. Yeah, and I love that film. (laughs) I totally love that film. It's about a a guy who's hired to dress up as a superhero to promote a movie and then ends up actually uh, stopping a robbery and kind of getting into the whole superhero thing. This was made in in 1980, I think. So, Hmm. and I I love that film. Anyway. Well, I mean, I would have to turn in my long expired membership card for the close personal friends of Al. If I didn't mention that Kevin McCarthy was the villain in the weird Al Yankovic film, UHF. So awesome. Um, (laughs) Awesome. Anyway, anyway, he's terrific. Anyway, (laughs) this is a great film for him. It really gets to show off his chops. Yeah. And uh, the chemistry between him and Dana winter as the, uh, the former flame is great. Yeah. As Becky, the connection that they clearly had, and are starting to reforge again uh, throughout the beginning of the film. It's just fantastic. Right. I actually started, uh, I discovered I actually had this book on my Kindle from a number of years ago, and I started reading it, and it's unclear to me. In the movie, they develop a a very romantic relationship, and at the point I'm in the book, the doctor character's like, well, I'm really glad we don't have this romantic relationship, so I don't know if it's going to develop in the book or not, but the first few chapters of the book are very, very much like this film uh, in terms of how the characters arrive. And there's even a great line that came out of the book that I'm going to now misquote, where they've met again. They're both back in town after uh, being away for a while, and they're both newly divorced. And he says to her, now you're my lodge brother (laughs) or something like that, right? (laughs) It's really sweet and charming and and kind of interesting and then the you get a little bit of 50s business there in the movie where it's like except that the i'm paying dues and you're collecting them or something like that right because that's a a 1950s divorce joke that the man pays alimony and the woman collects alimony because that's basically the way it worked then um but yeah no i love their relationship they're really really terrific 
you know, part of me is like, why, why don't I remember seeing her in more stuff? Um, and uh, like a lot of actors at this time, a lot of these people kind of drifted in between movies and television work. And so unless I was specifically looking for her, I don't know if I'd, I'd have noticed her in a, in a lot of a lot of television work, but she's great here. Their relationship is really it's very convincing. Yeah, you know? agreed. Uh, and and just the whole portrayal of the town. I mean, I, I know a lot of times we talk about how the city is its own character. I really felt like a Santa Mira was its own character in this. Uh, the way it just kind of became the hub of it's a small community. It feels like a small town community. Yep, it's cool, man. <laughs> yeah, and having lived in a couple of small town communities, living in one now, there's definitely some of that in both the, you know, the collegialness of you know running running into people who know you who you are and that kind of stuff, and also the kind of underlying there's that underlying dark gossipy side of a small town too. Mm-hmm. You get a sense of and in this film it becomes magnified because there actually is a dark conspiracy going on just below the radar of our main characters. You know, you start to find out early on when the doctor goes to his writer friend's house and there's a a body on the pool table that uh, is maybe not actually a dead body, which is, those are very creepy scenes too. You know, for, a 1956 monster movie it's more unnerving than a lot of the other monsters you see from this period right i mean i I love creature don't get me wrong i love creature but i don't find the gill man scary and what he does is scary but just looking at him you know without context i don't find him scary yeah and some of that is the you know i'm sure some people find him really frightening to look at but yeah i think part of the brilliance of millicent patrick's design of the creature face and the 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 crew working on the body and that the creature looks more like an animal that you don't know about Mm -hmm. and therefore it's like oh that's a really interesting strange animal that i've never seen before but Uh, you see these bodies man right you get the body on the table oh, and it doesn't look oh. quite real and then you get the scene where the bodies are actually coming out of the pods oh my god in yeah this i mean oh kind of creepy <laughs> 50s practical special effects way uh-huh and even though some of it looks like it's just like soap bubbles and that kind of stuff the way it's the way they've shot it and the way they've done it these transformations are very creepy, especially when, you know, the, the pods, which are, you know, they're like three or four feet long and maybe a foot, foot and a half wide. They look like big seed pods. When those pop open and you suddenly get these human forms starting to come out of them and, and they're kind of lumpy and blob-like and then they start to take shape and eventually they kind of crystallize or, or solidify into characters that you start to recognize as the people that are in the film as our main characters. It's, it's very, very creepy. Yeah. Very creepy. And, you very know, I mean, so. you know, he, when uh, the doctor sees himself, it's like instant hate. But when he sees the, you know, this woman that he, he has feelings for coming out, it's like, I can't stab her, but I can stab me <laughs> with a big <bit> fork. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, uh, it's really moving and creepy. And, and in some ways it feels real. It feels true to life. Yeah, it's just, ugh. Ugh. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it other than, ugh. And I wouldn't even know how to spell that if I was doing a transcription of this podcast. But um, it's creepy. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very creepy. And the, one of the things I think um, this movie and the 78 movie got right 
that the the later two movies had trouble with is that these two movies are very much about the people that are being replaced seem exactly like the original people. Yeah. Only the people really close to them can tell them apart in the 93 and the 2005. I think those are the the years it's very, uh, the pod people are very obvious. They're, you know, they're, they have a flat affect or whatever. You, You get fairly quickly which ones they are mostly except for the ones they're kind of using for you know for a scare later on but early on it's like yeah these guys are pod people and in this film in the 78 film you just don't know you just don't know they seem completely normal until they're not the pod people in this film and in the 78 they have no identifiable features they don't have the you know, the crippled little finger of the invaders TV show or any, there are no tells until suddenly they're carrying a pod across the room or talking about putting a pod in the baby's in the baby's bedroom near the crib. Oh, I'll do that. So he won't wake up. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And in that sense, it's, it's, it's much creepier. Yeah. I agree. uh, When you get to the end of the movie, aside from a couple of characters, it's not really clear who else was infected when in the movie, because it's like, they just keep doing the same stuff that they've always done. Except now at noon, they go out into the street and get the new pods off of a truck and put them on trucks to send them to other places. (laughs) And that makes it even worse. And that makes it even more like a real small town. And honestly, watching this again, it's hard not to see reflections of our current modern day in this in the the kind of political strife that we've had uh in this country and across the world you don't know who you can trust anymore and then we've got the pandemic coming along and amplified it and there's that sense that we have now that i think comes across in the in this movie at least that's part of my problem with the pandemic is you don't know who to trust anymore and this film for me, seeing it again right now, yeah, this seems totally, again, it seems totally authentic to me in terms of the paranoia. Now, some people say that this is about the Red Scare in the in the 50s, and that's obviously, you can interpret it that way. You can see that. Now, McCarthy himself denied having any of that, but I don't see how you can watch this movie and not pick up on some of that, even now, even this far removed from what was going on during the 50s. I right. can't help but see that. You can see it as a be aware of communists who are infiltrating our society movie, or you can see it as a beware of communist hunters who are willing to burn you at the stake because yeah. they think you're a communist, even though you're not. You can right. interpret it either of those ways, and I think that's very valid. And I think that's one of the brilliant things about the story is that the you know back then that worked. For me now, not to hit it too hard, for me now it works as kind of a, a pandemic thing. Which is sure. interestingly the way they played the the movie earlier in the two thousands. Yeah, yep, you can see it that way too. Is you, the the point is you don't know who to trust, and people you thought you could trust may not be so trustworthy. Yeah. So after a while, we've got our hero and our heroine running off together, and and you literally have no idea if anyone else is there for you to trust. That's really powerful when it happens, and it, you know since we're being spoilery here. How that that relationship ends up is just every time I see it, it breaks my heart. 
breaks my heart and it's very 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 creepy i'm gonna go out as far as saying that for me the events of this film are creepier than what i saw in the 70s film and i don't know if it's because i expected a bleak science fiction ending you know from the 70s film because it's it's the 70s (laughs) right whereas in this movie it's the 50s and while i know it wasn't all roses and sunshine and whatever the 50s had problems 50s movies especially genre films didn't necessarily dwell on overly overtly on the sexism racism and everything else going on right Right. you know there's more of a for lack of a better term a fun vibe to the 50s monster movies and this one subverted all that it's yeah. a, a mythical version of the u.s that the movies and television had kind of spun where you know everyone was happy in their small hometown and no one was ever gay or lesbian or black uh, you know i mean occasionally there are black characters but basically it was a conformist society where everyone was happy that's the yep. myth so when i see something like this and i see the people getting replaced it's creepy man yeah, it's no, heartbreaking, it's, and it is. It's heartbreaking. It's disquieting, you know. Yeah. And some of it even takes place off screen. You know, you see the woman that comes into the office. My uncle's not my uncle. I've lived with him all all my life, and then you hear later it's the like, kid, man, the kid that gets me. Yes. Yep. Oh, the little boy. That's the one that gets me. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and it's um. Even yeah, the little boy wasn't safe. Very, Which very you, creepy that he's very. You upset. don't see that in these movies, man. You don't see in the fifties children in danger this way in some ways people in the 1950s films and i know that there's a lot of this is myth feel much closer and more trusting as a society than we feel today i think and it's hard not to find that attractive i agree and i think i brought it up here on the show recently too the news media was to be trusted the police were to be trusted government doctors were to be trusted it was all to be trusted and now And I don't want to get political. I know we've kind of danced around some things that some people have turned political, but I don't want to get too political. No. You start screaming fake news the minute you hear something you don't agree with. And there's a cynicism that I don't feel like we get in some of these 50s movies, and that I find very attractive and fun. Right. And that the cynicism came about in a large part during the 70s, during Mm -hmm. the whole Nixon scandals and all. You say Watergate and everything else going on. Watergate, Vietnam, and all of that stuff brought an end to this kind of trusting society. And I, I don't think that's a good thing necessarily. You know, I mean, yes, there are the God knows there are plenty of things to distrust in society, but if it would be nice, if everyone could kind of work to the betterment of society again in their own way, Mm -hmm. and we would trust that other people were doing that. That there's my pie eyed (laughs) optimist. (laughs) It's, it's true though. And it's again, one of those things that I find fascinating about these movies and why, I don't just like watching them. I like studying them. I like seeing their place in society, what it was telling us about what had happened up until that point, the mores, the customs, all of that. Right. Knowing full well, it's not real. (laughs) Right. Knowing full well that this is some idealized version of the fifties. There's no non-white folk in this movie. Right. right? And that's not realistic at all. Um, so I, and I get that and I acknowledge that, you know, you can acknowledge that and, and see where that's wrong and in an incorrect representation, but there's still this kind of through line as well as like, you know, he's a doctor and, you know, the government's to be trusted. And when the cops can't be trusted, oh no, what do you do now? Yeah. It's, it's, 
just interesting to me. Right, yeah, and he just keeps trying to go to a higher authority to find mm-hmm. someone else to help him because he's the only one that knows what's going on. After a certain point, you know, I mean, his friends have been co-opted. We didn't mention his his friends, um, Jack and Teddy Belichick, who are played by King Donovan. Great name. <laughs> and Carolyn, oh, and I didn't even realize this watching, Carolyn Jones is actually uh, Teddy Belichick because make her blonde and curly and she does not look anything, <laughs> anything like it's not Morticia. <laughs> Morticia. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, it's a great cast end to end too. I mean, even the, um, the, one of the, one of the original neighbors, that's someone that's acting strange or has a relative is, um, Virginia Christine, who was, mm-hmm. um, Mrs. Olson in the, the old TV commercials and stuff. There are just great kind of character actors supporting, Kevin McCarthy and Dana Winter, right down to the bottom of this cast list. Everyone is just terrific. I mean, even the little kid is terrific. It's always interesting to me to see children, actors. That um, aren't annoying. <laughs> right. From the time period that actually seem like real kids. Yeah. And, and the kid in this seems, seems like a real, you know, a real rambunctious kid of, of the time period of, you know, of the times that I remember growing up or even in today to some extent, even though our society has changed so much. You know, rambunctious kids are rambunctious kids. So, like I said, it's, it seems it seems authentic. Well, and it, you know, it's one of those things too where we learn whatever this invading alien species, this this invasive species, we learn what their view of what the ideal is by making everybody same. There's a sameness through all of them, right? Right. I think that's one of the reasons that this film and has been remade three times but also the reason the film film still resonates because there is mm-hmm. a, still a large part of society that wants everyone to conform because yeah life is so much easier if everyone does what you expect them to do but life has never been that way but in in a sense after the war in the no in one the ever 50s, told you life was going to be this way steve <laughs> i don't know why that popped in. wow <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners. I am so sorry. I'm it, not man. sleeping well, and my brain is kind of mushy right now, and there are parts of my brain that's like, I haven't... Yeah, anyway. All you need to do is sleep, Derek. Just go I know. to sleep. Maybe go that's to sleep the problem. and wake up, and everything will be just fine. That's my just problem. go to sleep. <laughs> and it, it's interesting. I, you know, uh, again, society changes kind of things. In all the movies, if you fall asleep, you turn into a, you turn, however, whatever the mechanism is, you turn mm-hmm. into one of the pod people. You are replaced. You know, in the later editions, you actually, a lot of them, you see the human body crumbling away in two of them as, as you, you know, they've taken you over. And the, the one that's the infection one, you actually go undergo a metamorphosis uh, in the more recent one. This one, we never actually see the mechanism of, the replacement all we know is is if you fall asleep you're out so in this one they're hanging out in his doc they've been trapped by the pod people into the doctor office they're trying to figure improvised weapons in the 70s they're like okay give me uppers give me coffee give me, <laughs> you know suddenly you know it's like the pharmaceutical methods of staying awake seem far more upplayed and i couldn't remember re-watching this the other night does he give them amphetamines or anything like that and i i don't think he actually does though obviously being in the doctor's office he could it's also it's never 
completely clear to me whether he and Dr. Miles and Becky Driscoll team up to defeat the three people that have them trapped in their in the doctor's office by giving them injections of something right that's in the doctor's office. I was thinking about this as I watched this and I kind of rewatched that scene too. It's not really clear whether he's he's killed these people, whether they've killed them, the pod people, or just knocked them out. We never see any of the pod people that they dose up. We never see them again. And part of me is like, did they kill them? Did they not kill them? You know, I kind of had assumed in previous version that they knocked them out. But maybe they didn't knock them out. Hmm. <laughs> maybe, yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe they killed them. We don't know. We don't see. And in some sense, that makes it a little, that makes it even creepier. How far were they willing to go? All the monster movies you ever see now, the zombie movies especially, how many times do you say to the screen, Double tap. <laughs> or, yeah, you shot yeah. that guy in the leg. Now shoot him in the head. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So <laughs> I don't remember how we got onto this. but the I don't either. But this is what happened the last time we talked about Invasion of the Body Snatchers here on the show. Jonathan and I just kind of went way off track. And but we're doing it again. Part of the of this film is not knowing how far these guys have actually gone. In I, and fighting that's it, yeah. pod, piece, pod people and how far they're willing to go and how far are you willing to go? I mean, at the end of the movie, the scene where they're at the, the friend's house, they're at his writer friend's house, Jack, and they discover that in his greenhouse, there are these pods. And in the pods, the pods open up and they start creating these duplicate bodies, which apparently um, Kevin McCarthy, Dana Winter, and whoever else was uh, probably King Donovan at least, actually had full, at least partial body cast done of them to create these special effects. Mm-hmm. So you get to see them. McCarthy goes into the, the place to destroy the pods, and he sees Becky from the shoulders up the you know nude form of the woman he loves lying there in this foam and fizz and turning into a replicant of his his love and he reels back with his pitchfork and he can't get her he can't do it then he turns to the one that's him and he stabs the dickens out of it right Mm -hmm. (laughs) and it's unclear the way they've cut whether he ever goes back and destroys her pod person there. It's it's completely unclear. It's left ambiguous, I think. Probably at the time, people were like, yeah, of course he did that. He just took a moment. And then when we see him again, I actually, it was interesting, I watched, rewatched the scene. I actually watched the camera angles, and I was like, okay, is he still standing over his own clone corpse? Or has he moved on to her or someone else? And clever director... <laughs> completely change the camera angles when we see him again. So you can't tell. He's probably still stabbing himself rather than stabbing her. And then at the end of the movie, he, she's replaced. Yeah. And I think we have to assume that she is replaced by that creature that he couldn't bring himself to kill because it looked like her. If she wasn't, then, you know, uh, she still wasn't. And the moment when we discover she's been replaced, because he's went to scout ahead to make sure that they were hearing music and wanted to make sure that it was safe before they went there, goes 
and discovers the music is coming out of a truck radio that they're loading the truck with pods, which is a, a horrifying moment in the film, and then goes back and discovers she has apparently fallen asleep uh, in the cave they were hiding out in, in Bronson's Cavern, <laughs> where they were hiding out. Right, um, right. Right down the, the cavern hallway from the back cave. Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, it's always great to see Bronson's Cavern, Cavern and Bronson Canyon in these films. That's always a, a nice touch. And she's been replaced. <laughs> but because this film is, in a way, creepiest of all these, she doesn't seem like she's been replaced. She doesn't seem like it at all. Mm-hmm. And it's only when they kind of collapse together and he kisses her that suddenly he realizes, oh, my God, this is not the woman I kissed at the beginning of this film. And it's that moment of sheer horror. It's, it's very Lovecraftian. He sees something he shouldn't see, and he, he literally kind of goes mad for the rest of the movie. He, like, screams and runs away, and then he's screaming until the until the end of the film. Screaming through the end of the original director cut of the film, and then a little more rational in the segment that the studio tacked on at the end with Whit Bissell as the calm authority figure. <laughs> yeah. Whit Bissell and, um, oh, what's his name from the Dick Van Dyke show right here? Richard Deacon. Yeah. Richard Deacon there. That's what, it. Yep. Who did he play on Dick, Dick Van Dyke? Mel Cooley. Mel. Yeah. Yep. Who was kind of, kind of their boss, but not their big boss or with anyway. Anyway, he was on the Dick Van Dyke show. Sam Peckinpah has a very tiny, tiny role in this. Uh, <laughs> oh, I didn't know he that. He actually appears on screen for like a second and later in life would tell people he actually rewrote the script or co-wrote this and it became a dispute between him and the original writer. Yeah. Uh, that's not really what happened, but I think that's interesting. Uh, Dabs Greer appears in this and he's fun. He's always fun to look at and watch and listen to. So we know Peck and Puck. Give, give, give me some context for Dabs Greer. Dabs Greer, he plays Mac in the movie. He was in uh, House of Wax actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah. He's the kindly older gentleman yep. character. Yeah. No, there's great character actors throughout this. It's funny about well, Peck and Pond, though. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. That's... I want to start winding down here, but I, uh, I I have like a final note. Is there anything else you want to say before I give my, my final little bit of I don't think info? so. I think we, co- okay. we covered the kind of, uh, you know, the little bit of, it's not body horror exactly, but the, the creepy in this is that you can't tell. I can see body horror having some of its origins out of this. Yeah. For sure, yeah. Well, there's the the definitely you look like you, but you're not really you. Exactly. And that there's a, you know more of that I think in the '78 version, but it's clearly it's all there, and it looks like as I said, I've I just started reading the book I'm about five chapters in, which is twenty percent or thirty percent or something like that. So far in the book, it looks like it's all there in the book too. Maybe there'll be a wide divergence as we go along, but you know this is a clever idea. Well, keep us posted. You know, if, I, if there's. I will. Yeah. I will. What's your final? So I, I'm not a big fan of the podcast. I just pull up the IMDb and read everything they find on the IMDb because I can do that, right? But I will say I looked at the trivia section on the IMDb of this film. Uh-huh. And near the top, it talks about how Kevin McCarthy wasn't really a big fan of how this movie turned out, that he felt like some of the characterizations got dropped or whatever. So, okay, whatever. But then it also says years later, he just randomly called Daniel Winter and left a message on her answering machine that just says becky this is miles don't go to sleep and then hung up and i love that idea i don't know if that really happened but i want to live in a world in which that did happen right (laughs) 
So we didn't talk about this at the beginning. SDSullivan.com is where you're going to find Steve. Yes. Uh, he mentioned a shark thing earlier. What's going on with that? All right. The uh, Kindle has a new thing called Kindle Vela, uh-huh. which is a venue for serialized stories. And uh, it's a brand new thing, and I'm not entirely sure how it works. You go and you, it's like you buy tokens, and then you throw the tokens at whatever it's like putting coins into a slot for the stories you want as they come out. And they'll, some of them, I guess crazy people will be releasing theirs every day. I'm planning to release mine every week. You get the first three chapters for free and then you pay based on how long they are, I guess, but I don't know the exact metric on that, but it's all in Amazon funny money. Anyway, it's, uh, it will be, released serially and the story i'm working on is called uh, monster shark on a nude beach and uh it's kind of got everything you would expect from that title and it will be probably coming out with a little luck it'll be out by the time this podcast drops at least the first chapters you don't have to own a kindle to enjoy this uh, if you have a kindle it's easier but there's kindle software and apps for ipads your desktop whatever yep yeah, you can read on your computer and stuff. And it's a great way to support Kindle eBooks. It's a great way to support your favorite authors, anyway. So right, and you can go still check get, that out. You know, so that's a new thing. I'm trying it out. We'll see how it works. Uh, I've got a very fun story going on with that. Uh, my uh, first readers have really enjoyed it so far. So uh, that'll be fun. That's ongoing. And of course, Doctor Cushing Chamber of Horrors is still out in eBook and print and is at a a new nicer price a drop price on it for uh, for summer reading hopefully people can get it now and enjoy it through halloween so those are the two things that i've got going on right now and you can find out about some of them at sdsullivan.com or cushinghorrors.com for that and i haven't linked it up but the url for the monster shark on a nude beach is buffbeach.com all right <laughs> <laughs> Right on. Edgar Allan Poe's Tomb of Lygia. Poe considered it his masterpiece. She will not die because she willed not to die. Vincent Price, magnificent, macabre, defying the deathless, jealous spirit of Lygia. A nightmare of terror. Pitting their lust for life against the unholy powers of the undead. The undead attack the living. A wondrous world of maddening horror. Starring Vincent Price in Edgar Allan Poe's Tomb of Lygia in color. Death Race 2000. In the year 2000, hit-and-run driving is no longer a crime. It's the national sport. Death Race 2000, starring David Carradine. He was built by the world's finest surgeons to drive the fastest car ever designed, and nothing can stop him now. Death Race 2000, a cross-country road wreck. Rated R, under 17, not admitted without parents.
Well, it is that time again. It is time to say goodbye for the week. This is the end of this week's episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing posts, retweeting tweets, letting people know about the podcast. If you haven't done so, please consider doing so. Thank you for leaving us reviews wherever it is you download your podcast. And just thanks for your overall support and for being there for me whenever I start gabbing about monster movies. Thanks for just being you. Friends, you can find out everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio over at our website at monsterkidradio.net, where you're going to find links to everything that you've heard about here on the show. There are links to our Facebook page, our Facebook group, our Twitter, our Discord, and our Reddit. You're going to find links to what Steve's up to, and you're going to find Amazon affiliate links. If you're interested in buying anything that you've heard about here on this episode of Monster Kid Radio, please consider using one of the links from our website, because every time you do so, you take a few pennies out of astronaut Bezos's pockets and put some into podcaster mine. That was an awkward sentence, but I'm going to leave it in. Anyway, I think you know what I mean. Please consider just doing whatever it is you can to uh, help support the show, even if it is just, like I said earlier, sharing posts, retweeting tweets, or just letting people know about the podcast. If you have any feedback for the show, have any comments about what you've heard this week or any of the previous 535 episodes of the podcast, wow, that's a lot. Well, this is how you do it. You can call and leave a voicemail for Monster Kid Radio at 503-810-5MKR. That's 503-810-5657. Or you can send an email to the podcast. MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com is the email address. That's MonsterKidRadio at gmail.com. Okay, next week on the show, here's my plan. Here's the thing. If you listened to last week's episode, you know that sometimes I make plans at the beginning of a recording, and by the time that recording is over, well, those plans change and things don't really work out. However, this is the plan as of right now. I found my portable audio recorder. I'm going to be putting in some new batteries, and I'm going to be heading down to Weird Wednesday tonight at the Joy Cinema. Tonight being Wednesday the 18th. They're showing a Santo movie. I forget which one, and I probably wouldn't be able to pronounce it anyway. Um... <laughs> So I'm going to be going down there and I'm going to bring my recorder along. So next week's episode will be Weird Wednesday, the Joy Cinema, the Santo movie. Looks like Jeff Pullier is going to be there. So Jeff and I are going to talk about the movie. If there's anybody else down there that feels like chatting with me, well, I'll put them on the podcast as well. I'm just looking forward to it for a few different reasons. I haven't really spent a lot of time in movie theaters since the restrictions have been lifted regarding what's going on with COVID and everything else. However, I do live here in Oregon and where we are right now with COVID and the Delta variant, um, it's starting to get bad again, and I don't know how much it's going to impact theater-going experiences, as well as conventions and festivals and things like that. So I'm going to be viewing this weird Wednesday as kind of like my last movie theater experience again until things get better, unless things get amazingly better. I, I don't know. We'll see. I guess what I'm getting at is that I'm going to savor every single moment of being at the joy. And I hope I can give you guys and gals, give my friends just a taste of that experience, you know? So that's coming up next week. This Saturday in the Monster Kid Movie Club stream, which you can find on Twitch. Go to twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio or monsterkidmovie.club. On Saturday, the, what is that day? 
look at the calendar, Derek. Saturday the 21st, starting at noon, we're going to be showing even more Boris Karloff content. We've got some more episodes of Colonel March of Scotland Yard. We've got a few Boris Karloff movies in the works. We've got a cool pre-show put together by Scott Morris that'll be running at 11 a.m. We've just got a lot coming up on Saturday, and I would love to see you there. It's going to be a good time. This is Pacific time, so it's 11 a.m. Pacific for the pre-show, noon Pacific for the movies themselves. They run uh, until about 8 o'clock or so at night, so come for the whole thing, come for one or two shows, pop in and out all day. It doesn't matter. It's free, and there's a live chat. We're going to be giving away some things. We've got conversations happening. may even play a live round of the Classic Five. It's just going to be a fun time. Would love to see you there. Now, on Tuesday, August 24th, at the same place, is the Monster Kid Astronomy Club, where we're going to be showing the movies Nonstop New York and the Transatlantic Tunnel. Now, this starts at around 4 p.m. Pacific, with a pre-show starting around 3.30 p.m. And really, the easiest way to make sure you don't miss any of this is just hop on over. Again, it's twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio and follow the channel. Follow the Twitch stream. You'll receive a notification every time I go live, whether it's for the Astronomy Club, whether it's for the Monster Kid Movie Club, or just me randomly popping on and playing around with the stream a little bit, running some tests, or just wanting to chat with people. I hope to see you over there. And I'll go ahead and tell you now, the following Saturday on the 28th, we're doing Gorilla Suit Day. So right, we're going to be showing movies that feature men in gorilla suits. And that's going to be a lot of fun, too. You can actually thank Kenny for that. Kenny stumbled across a couple of public domain gorilla suit movies that I'd never heard of. He told me about them, and I thought, you know what? Let's just build a day out of that. So you can thank Kenny from Old Mexico for the Gorilla Suit Day happening on August 28th. I think that's about as far as I am in terms of planning ahead. So stay tuned for more at monsterkidradio.net, the Facebook page, Twitter, just wherever it is you follow Monster Kid Radio. Until next week, remember that Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution on commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 unported license. Maybe it's 4.0 at this point. I really ought to double check. However, none of this applies to the song Panic at the Pier. That is a copyright 2017, The Men in Gray Suits. It is from the album Panic at the Pier, which you can find at themeningraysuits.bandcamp.com. Gray is spelled G-R-A-Y in this particular case. Check them out. Let them know that you heard about them here on Monster Kid Radio. If you have trouble finding them on Bandcamp, just follow the link in the show notes. My name is Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Ciao. (laughs) 